Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Take a trip over to fanfilms.net and you will see three columns of hundreds and hundreds of properties you are most likely familiar with. Jurassic Park, The Matrix, Gremlins, even The Godfather. All there, all hyperlinks to list of fan films based off the original property, most in violation of copyright laws in America. These incredibly popular films are our focus this week on the show as we dive into the murky waters of fan films. Lights, camera, podcast. This is Zach on Film. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. This week's show dedicated to the art of the fan film with that major release of Power Rangers, Power Slash Rangers, last week. We thought it was the prime time to jump into the discussion about fan films. That uh, Power Rangers film from producer Adi Shankar and director Joseph Kahn uh, highlighted a lot of the weird legal issues when the film got taken down by the copyright holder and then put back up a day later. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff there. So first up, we are talking with Steven Rodrigo and Matthew. You know them all so well. We're going to be talking about the legality of fan films and the positive and potential negatives of properties letting fans use their intellectual property. After that, we'll be talking to Jason Inman. But first, let's get into this conversation with Steven Rodrigo and Matthew. So we're talking fan films uh, this week on the show, uh, because mainly two big ones came out in the last two weeks with the Power Rangers dark, gritty, violent uh, fan film last week, and then just today, a James Bond animated fan film came out from the same producers on both of those. Uh, you know, in fan films, is something kind of in the comic culture is kind of normal. We see them happen a lot with people. Uh, taking adaptations of their favorite characters, but I think these really, especially the Power Rangers one, has like 18 million views in a week, uh, opened it up to a, a wider internet audience to be like, oh yeah, people still make you know their own little things based on properties. Well, so we I talk mean, about those this week. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would say is that it's not just comic books. I mean... No, certainly not. You know, Harry Potter, go and look at all the Harry Potter fan films, go and look at all the... Um, look at all the fan fiction that's been written. I mean, fan films have been around for... Uh, what is it? The earliest, the earliest known fan film was um, these guys in North Carolina, and I want to say like 1920 or something like that, started doing their own series of Little Rascals shorts <laughs> because they were fans of the of the movie shorts mm-hmm. that came out. So fan films have been around for forever. Um, <laughs> And so it's not just comic book related. No, so it's anything, no, 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 no. anything can have a fan film. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Uh, but Stephen, you know, we were talking earlier when we were trying to decide what the topic would be for Zach mm-hmm. on film this week, and you used to get a lot of thoughts. Oh, well, so, I have a so lot of thoughts. W- what are your, some of your first thoughts about fan films? Well, I mean, 
well, my first thought is, okay, cool. Sure. I mean, why not? Yeah. If you want to make a film, you know, fan films are, are cool in a number of different ways. First of all, they really get into this, um, into this notion of, um, uh, what's the phrase that I'm, that I'm looking for? Um, social, what is it called? Dang it. Now it slipped my mind. I'll find it here. Social commentary. Or, oh, I'm sorry. Participatory culture okay. is what it is. When we talk about participatory culture, what we're really talking about is, is this whole closed loop cycle of creation, distribution, commentary, feedback. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, the film, the fan film becomes this last loop in this, in this cycle of uh, creative art that says, you, the creator, have released something. We have watched it and consumed it. And now we are providing commentary and criticism uh, back to this topic in our own form, whether that be a, a fan fiction or fan film or whatever. That's kind of where I see it. And participatory culture is actually um, many social scientists and educators have said that that is one of the more important parts of our culture today and how we deal with pop culture is how do we provide how do we provide our feedback other than doing a review or something like that? Mm-hmm. So uh, on the one hand, totally fine. If you want to make a fan film, fine. But you have to realize, and this is the part where um, a lot of people don't get it, is when you are doing something that is someone else's intellectual property or copyright, they have the absolute right to sue you if they mm-hmm. want. And they'll win. They, they will win on this. And this is the this is the same whether it has been uh, in the 1920s, or whether if someone in the 1970s wanted to go sue Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg, who made their own fan films, uh, or whether it's today with the case of uh, of the uh, of the Power Rangers mm-hmm. piece. So, I got a lot more, but let's let the other guys <laughs> talk for a minute. So, Rodrigo, do you have any initial thoughts about fan films, or do you enjoy a, a, a fan film? Uh, it, it really depends on the fan film, honestly. I mean, it's nice to see, especially nowadays, like people as as editing technologies and special effects technologies become more widely available at lower prices. It's nice to see something that is almost a, a cinematic level uh, piece that somebody that is not tied to anything uh, official, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's always fun. That's interesting. But, you know, a lot of the time, uh, these films are, uh, not great, mm-hmm. uh, like story wise, or they just kind of like explore an aspect of the characters that I wasn't interested in and, you know, which is fine, but it's like, you know, if I was going to say like in general, do I like fan films? I guess I would say yes, because it's cool to see what people are doing with it. But I'm not like, oh, there's a new Star Wars fan film. I need to see that. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, if I come across it, then I'll check it out. Uh, which is, uh, you know, honestly, that's kind of my uh, my take on almost every media. Sure. <laughs> well, and and again, that's that's the other thing is not every fan film is going to be, you know, the the special effect filled Oscar winning performance, uh, multi million dollar budget that we see in some of these productions. Some of them mm-hmm. definitely are. Uh, a lot of money sunk into them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of them are just, hey, I want to grab a camcorder and tell my own uh, 
Batman story. I want to tell my own Aquaman story. And if that means that I have to put a camera in front of a fish tank and get my friend on the other side to pretend like he's swimming around, then that's what we'll do if we can share our, our story. And that's really part of that part of that culture mm-hmm. that, that has risen. Sure. So, yeah, there are some really, really bad ones out there. And then there are some really, really awesome ones out there. Matthew, what what makes a fan film work for you? Especially like when it's a property that you know and love. Especially like Power Rangers, when that came out last week. Well, that's, that's a bad example because that <laughs> film didn't work for me on multiple mm-hmm. levels. But I think the thing about a fan film that works and the thing that doesn't work is exactly the same thing. It's about the love and the devotion to the property. And when done correctly, you get something like, I always think of Troops. The the uh, Star Wars fan film, yeah, that's the Kevin Rubio, yeah, yeah, kind of that that cops parody thing, but it takes place. It kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Star Wars uh, Episode Four. You get that really funny moment. You get entertaining moments. You get kind of a meta level discussion, but it's clearly something that loves the property and can make you enjoy and make you think about what you enjoyed about the original property. A good fan film. Reminds you what you loved about mm. the the professionally produced, the actual canonical properties. I like it. I like it. Uh, so, to, so when does a when does a fan film go wrong for you? I mean, you you did have problems yeah. with the, the Power Rangers film. I did. Is it, is it just it, the opposite of that they didn't treat uh, the, the the property that in a way that reminded you why you loved it? Well, any property, any creator, be it canonical, non-canonical, professional, amateur, can disappear up their own butt. And that, that is a big problem for me with some fan films is they're, they're kind of like what you see in fan fiction, in the worst of fan fiction, is answering a question between three panels of Adventure Comics 307 that explains why Sunboy called Starboy Sunboy. Or, you know, something that goes into such detail that it's actually answering questions that nobody's asking. Mm. For me, Power Slash Rangers went wrong. Um, and I, I say wrong because it was enjoyable. It was, it was an okay film. It was, it was a film that works for me if you say, this is a parody of gritty reboots. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. it. It works for me. If you say it's Power Rangers, basically what you've done is you've taken... The Rococo, the facade, the names and places and costumes, to some degree, costumes of Power Rangers, and hung them on a very typical and not even particularly uh, original Tom Cruise action flick no-brainer. One of the interesting things about fan films to keep in mind is it doesn't have to appeal to everybody, and everybody is subjective, right? Oh, sure. Uh, as far well, as their taste goes. Because what one person loves, somebody else may hate. And um, who's the director? Joseph Kahn? Yeah, Joseph Kahn, who directed this piece. There was a great mm-hmm. interview uh, that I was listening to this week where he basically was saying, hey, when it comes to this piece or Torque or Detention or these other films that I've done, I'm making films that I want to see. Right. Mm-hmm. And if other people like them, great. If they don't, that's OK, too. But I'm making films that I that I want to see. And I think when we talk about fan films, a lot of that is that mentality of, hey, here's something that I think is great and my friends think are great. If nobody else likes them, that's fine, too. I mean, uh, Matthew was talking about costumes. I mean, there are some fan films out there where the costumes are the greatest thing that has ever been seen on 
the screen outside of a major motion picture um, studio piece. And then I see stuff where I literally saw one. I think I shared it with you in the comic book uh, class. Um, basically, Batman is wearing garbage bags mm-hmm. because that's all the kid could afford to make his black Batman costume is black <laughs> garbage bags. And production quality, awful. Story, not so great. But you know what? The kid and the and the friends that made that with him probably had a blast. And that says something. That says mm-hmm. something about the connectivity between the creator and the consumer or the fan and how much of an impact that has on uh, on our lives, on our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that whether people think that it works for them or doesn't work for them, it's there is an impact in, in culture. Yeah, and I think Matthew really tapped in something about the, the love of the property because uh, when you do a fan film, you're not really supposed to make money off of it because it's not your property. Right. So you're, right. you're putting your time and effort into making something for the pure love of the property and, I mean, the creative endeavor in general. Well, so let's define making money. How do you define <laughs> making money? Uh, a... Define making money, Zach, on, uh, make, on a fan film and It's like money. when someone, you know, you don't have as much money and then you do something and someone gives you money, that's like making money. Okay. Um, and so, to, to yeah. find, define making money from fan films. And well, where, I mean, where do we cross that line? That's the difficult part. If you put your fan film up on your site and you're getting, you're getting uh, revenue from people clicking from your advertisers, aren't you making money on that? Yeah, you can. I mean, yeah. You can certainly be making money from that way. What if, in the case of Sandy Cholera, who did uh, Batman Dead End, or mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, years ago, he was using it to say, "Hey, look what I can do." Mm-hmm. So he was using that to get other work. And yeah. in the case of uh, the Ryan versus Dorkman series, uh, that kid, uh, you know, he started out really young, and because of these little fan films, these Star Wars lightsaber fights that he was putting online and sharing with people how he was doing these these lightsaber battles and compositing everything together, was enough to get him a job at Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. And in the years since that came out, he's re- he's won like three Emmys from that. So should Lucasfilm go back and sue him because he made money off of a fan film? I mean, getting work from a fan film is is getting is making money, right? <laughs> I mean, um, but that area of they're not supposed to make money is super, super gray because mm-hmm. a lot of times we've seen Disney and Marvel who uh, and, and, and DC will send the lawyers after people who start a Kickstarter campaign to raise money to do a fan film, even though it's paying exactly for the costs of the production and mm-hmm. not a and not a, uh, a profit afterwards. We've seen them go after that. But then in other cases, like some of the ones I've mentioned, they don't really care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that gets into the next part of, of, of fan films and, and where the copyright uh, falls into. Yeah, which is, a, which is a huge part of it because uh, the Power Rangers and James Bond films that came out from uh, Eddie Shankar, the producer for both of those, uh, both got pulled down at least oh, initially. Did the James Bond one get pulled down. Got, uh, the James Bond one got pulled down uh, just you know like twelve hours after it was posted by MGM. Uh, the Power Rangers thing got pulled down and then put back up mm-hmm. on various websites that it was posted on. And so that is a problem where uh, these people controlled the intellectual property, the copyrights, and they can do what. It, what they please and they can choose to not let anyone see the thing you've yeah. been creating. So again, go back to Sandy Cholera where um, he, he made Batman Dead In and it was super popular mm-hmm. and everyone was like, oh yes, this guy who played, um, I think his name was Bertram, 
this guy who played Batman in this series, he's got to be the Batman in the next film and had everybody riled up. Well, problem for Warner Brothers was they were already in talks with Christopher Nolan and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, to Christian actually, Bale. Christian Bale to actually play Batman. And so they had a real problem with that. So when uh, Cholera was going to San Diego Comic-Con the following year to show World's Finest, which reintroduced Bertram as Batman and um, I forget who they had as Superman, but he's a really good looking guy for Superman. They put the kibosh on that. They're like, mm-hmm. no way are you going to show that. And they asked San Diego Comic-Con to stop running their fan film series because that was something that was going on. And there have been some terrific fan films that came out of that. Um, the copyright owners have the absolute right to sue you. And they probably can sue you if they think that it is harming their property in any way. Uh, the nice thing is Lucas, George Lucas, fully embraces this idea of participatory culture and welcomed people to make fan films just go nuts go Mm -hmm. crazy it's not canon don't expect it to ever be canon but if you want to go do it great here go do it in fact here are here are a bunch of um here's some music that you can use here's a bunch of sound effects that you guys are totally free to use and every year he had the for i think it was like 10 years or something they ran the uh the star wars fan film contest Mm -hmm. where lucas was one of the judges or would uh participate in the in the final presentation where they would show those off um with the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney, Disney has not Disney has not done anything crazy yet, but they they could if they want. Marvel has been kind of flip floppy. Uh, they have they shut down um, the production of Army of Darkness versus Marvel Zombies. Mm-hmm. They shut that down, um, but they allow like Machinima to do. Darth Vader versus Batman. DC is the same way. DC Comics, and really I talked with Dark Horse um, several years ago, and their their policy on this is like, hey, as long as it's not harming the property, go out and make all the fan films that you want. Mm. And, you know, providing that it's not causing any kind of conflict, we don't have a problem with it. So they kind of embrace that that uh, mm-hmm. uh, issue. Oh, it's an interesting balancing act for the companies because... These fan films are promoting their products, but also potentially, and and this is minor, but it's there, potentially cutting into their bottom line and potentially undermining things that they want to do with the properties. Um, However, to uh, send in a helicopter squad of angry lawyers doesn't make them look good in the public's eyes, especially when people love these fan films. So it's always a balancing act for the companies for them to be like, yep, we embrace your creativity, which they don't. They're just trying to make money. Or for them to be like, you are cutting into our bottom line, which you're probably not, but they're trying to protect their copyright. Well, and here's the reason why, uh, here's the reason why so many companies are, are okay or they turn a blind eye. You know, if we don't know that it exists, then we're not going to do anything about mm-hmm. it. But when uh, a video hits 18 million viewers in less than 24 hours, then somebody's going to have to respond because now it's right in that company's face. But for the most part, it is good PR to allow the fan film, in my opinion, because it does keep the conversation going about that property. In the case of Power Slash Rangers and why uh, Saban took it down or had the takedown notice sent out, was because they're in the in the in the I don't know what stage they're at right now of making a Power Rangers movie mm. and they felt like there right. may be some brand confusion between people seeing this fan film and thinking that that's what the movie was going to be like. So what ended up happening yep. was um the producer and the director got together with Saban um and 
basically they were like, hey, you guys can go ahead and release this. The only thing we want you to do is make sure that it's very, 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 very clear that this is a fan film mm-hmm. and is in no way related to the Power Rangers franchise or the movie that's currently in production. So that's why for those of you who saw the movie uh, before it was taken down and then after, you notice that there's this big, long uh, full page graphic that's saying this is a fan film. This is nothing to do with what the what the property <laughs> owners are doing. And that was the Pay only no thing. attention to the man behind the uh, curtain. Again, uh, Joseph Kahn was saying that they had a once they sat down with Saban and had the conversation. Everyone was cool with it. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to make sure that there was no confusion on the audience's part of right. of uh, of what was going on. And you know the way this thing looked. You could easily confuse it for a major motion yeah. picture mm-hmm. budget. Now I don't know what the budget was. Khan was very eighteen dollars. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> he he went on this long tirade about fan film budgets and how people expect fan films to be done on the cheap, but he didn't feel like uh, he thinks that that's BS because people should get paid. People are mm-hmm. either donating their time or they still have uh, people to feed, mouths to mouths to feed, and bills to pay. Uh, the production on this was one week long for Power Rangers, but the post-production by the house, which did it in kind, basically, calling in a favor, it took them six months of their own time wow. to do all the special effects in this movie. So that was kind of maybe a loss for them, uh, but he didn't say how much it was. So I'm still thinking it's it's a couple million dollars. He did use his own money to produce this, so he didn't have to go and seek outside funds. If you want to download the NSFW version of it, you can go over to Vimeo. It's free to download over there in, uh, in HD. Um, but he's like, this is just something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it sounded like fun. And I rarely get to do long form projects outside of Taylor Swift music videos or TV commercials or those kinds of things. So this is what he decided to take his money and, and dump it into. Mm. So, but I, but I think from that, from that copyright standpoint, it does make a company look bad when they're beating up on the little guy. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, providing it's not, it's not putting the, the brand in a, in a bad light, people are going to look the other way. Rodrigo, in what ways in your mind could a fan film put that property in a bad light? Uh, well, I think, you know, something like this actually has a, um, does have a problematic potential because you and I as adults realize that this is a fan film. This isn't Power Rangers, but kids might not. The, mm-hmm. the, primary audience for Power Rangers are kids. So if a, if kids get a hold of this, they might be thoroughly confused about what uh, exactly is going on and how this fits into the broader canonical slash official uh, guidelines of things. So there's something like that. Um, obviously, when you, you find this a lot in fan art, uh, when characters are put into uh, pornographic or violent or other situations where they don't normally uh, would be in those situations, um, it can raise some hackles mm-hmm. um, from from the companies. Um, and you can run into issues as a company where a strong enough fan contingent can start pushing and can start making things problematic for you if certain things aren't adopted or changed or anything like that, right? Um, those 
instances are rare. Generally speaking, a fan film is actually going to be positive publicity or zero publicity, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody if somebody is like, I'm going to make an awesome, I don't know, Iron Fist fan film, and it's not very good, nobody's going to go like, well, Iron Fist is a stupid character. They're going to be like, well, this was done with a $40 budget. Yeah. Like, the, the argument of whether Iron Fist is or isn't a stupid uh, comic book character is entirely separate from that fan film, and I don't think people would really associate it. Um, you do but, get a, but yeah, you do get into this interesting area though, because you were saying you know making something sexual. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Braun over at Vivid Entertainment mm-hmm. uh, for That's years cool. has been doing the the triple X porn parodies. Uh, of Star Wars, Superman, Spider-Man, you know, you name it, he's he's done it. I think they even did a, I don't think they did a James Bond one, but uh, they've done all sorts of crazy stuff over there. And and other other studios, not just Vivid, have done the same thing. But they clearly say on their label that this is a pornographic parody. Uh, right. And so then you have to go into the big, long definition of what is parody. And if you're using this as a social commentary on something, does it fall into fair use, which is an even broader aspect. Mm-hmm. So even if you, even if the copyright owner wants to say, hey, um, they shouldn't be telling jokes about um, our property. You know, they shouldn't have Batman up on stage um, uh, telling a comedy routine or have him, having him talking group therapy with other superheroes because that harms our property. Well, they're probably under fair use, right. can still do it and still release it, because it's making a commentary on that character. Mm-hmm. And that falls under that freedom of expression or freedom of speech uh, right. issue that, that people like to, to call up. So fair use, and we've had conversations on this podcast multiple times about fair use. Oh. Or not on this podcast, but on the uh, Major Spoilers podcast mm-hmm. about fair use uh, and parody. So I would encourage people to kind of go check those out. It does get into a super, super murky area um, because there have been times where, you know, the Zapruder film, for example... Um, Time Warner wanted to to uh, copyright that and keep it for themselves, but the courts decided, oh no, this is in the public interest. So therefore, even though you may have paid a lot of money for it, it is in, it is in the public domain for anyone to use however they want. Mm-hmm. In the case of uh, the Lyndon B. Johnson biography that came out, there was a, um, a, a review written about that, and the author pulled out like one paragraph out of this entire 600-page biography to run as an excerpt Mm. and the publishers flipped out and said, you can't use that. And they tried to claim fair use, went to court and the courts determined. And one of the things that that happens in fair use is you have to talk about the extent of, uh, of the uh, content and the effect that it has. That paragraph that they pulled out was determined to kind of be the summation of everything in in the Lyndon administration, uh, the administration. (laughs) It was the best paragraph in the book. Well, and that's what the publisher (laughs) said. This is really the best, the best paragraph in the book. And the courts agreed and, and the, the publisher lost in that case because Mm -hmm. they claimed that it wasn't fair use. So parody fair use, it really gets into a murky area. If you're going to do it. And again, uh, for power Rangers, this uh, fan film, they purposely didn't tell anybody what they were doing until the day it went online mm-hmm. because they didn't want to get a and d or a bunch of lawyers descending on them ahead of time without them seeing it and seeing it in context mm-hmm. and holding up that that part of of uh, commentary and criticism so now on the on the subject and i, I want to you know i want to try and make this brief but this did pop up in my feed a couple of times and people asked me and i wanted to present this to you Stephen. okay Heim saban mm-hmm. 
Copyright holder for Power Rangers. Uh, Power Rangers in the United States, right? Not Power uh, Rangers in the United States. Not uh, he doesn't own the rights. Super to Sentai. Senpai, Super Sentai, right? Okay, correct. Now, Heim Saban's copyright. Uh, in, in your opinion, as someone who has done as as much and probably considerably more than anybody I know, does the fact that he is licensing part of the material from the Toei, the producers of Super Sentai, change his copyright in the United States? Well, so this fan film isn't using any footage from anywhere, uh, from right. any other Power Rangers stuff. This is all original created stuff. Right. Um, so where the copyright would probably fall in, and, and of course there's the whole, um, and, and this wasn't a copy, I mean, when this was taken down, it was a copyright issue, but it was more of a confusion of brand issue as opposed right. to you're stealing our ideas or our, our, our thoughts. From that standpoint, no, I don't think so. And also copyright varies from country to country, and that is the other thing, too. So um, the company that owns Super Sentai, mm-hmm. if they had an issue, they could certainly do something in their country, but copyright from country to country uh, doesn't always hold up, and it has caused issues with with trade agreements, but copyright is really kind of wackadoo when it comes from country to country. The issue where Saban can really step in and say we have an issue with it if they wanted to go after copyright is they're using those characters from the Saban series in this Power Rangers film, specifically what the first three seasons uh, characters in this in this fan film. It's a very it's a very uh, it, it's, murky thing and to so, wade through. So from that reason you have to ask yourself is it worth all the aggravation and headache to spend millions of dollars or even thousands of dollars if you're someone who's strapped for cash and all you can afford is $1000 is it really worth it to run the risk of getting sued into oblivion to do that? You better make sure that you're on the right side of fair use, copyright, parody and following the de- definition of fan film, if that's the direction you want to go. Last thing, real quick. Do, do, do you think fan films are good? Do you think they should be continued? And From a participatory culture, participatory yeah. culture standpoint, yes. I believe it is vital to have a fan film, just like it's vital to have fan fiction, just like uh, it's vital to have uh, Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. right? So yes, I agree. Fan film should be should stick around. Rodrigo? Uh, both sides, all three sides benefit from fan uh, works like that. The creators benefit from it because it pushes them forward. Um, the audience benefits because they get more media to absorb. Mm-hmm. And the companies benefit because someone else is basically promoting their works. Simultaneously, any of those three groups can end up on the losing end of things. Um, at, but the one that stands to lose the most are the companies uh, or potentially... Uh, the creator, if his movie flops and he just spent a bunch of money on it. Yeah, true. Um, but it's important to keep in mind that this balance is kept on purpose, that the companies realize a lot of the time that allowing a fan film to exist or even getting involved with something like that is uh, valuable. And even though sometimes they frown and they treat it like, terrible terrible like a terrible terrible crime if it suits them they're just as willing to do it the other way around and the creators are the same way it mm-hmm. is totally free publicity mm-hmm. totally Absolutely. free publicity matthew i would say first of all you can't stop the signal i'd like to see somebody try and stop fan films and fan fiction but more <laughs> importantly they do serve an important niche they 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 are part of the ecology 
of the way we view these properties, of the way we interact with our pop culture. And I think that, yeah, they're important. I don't think that they're all equally necessary, mm-hmm. but that's true of everything. I mean, it, mm-hmm. for every fan film like this one that has people talking and has people excited and has people fighting, in some cases arguing why the other side is wrong, you get three things that slide off the end of the pier, and that's as it should be. But I think that they, they are important, and most importantly, if they're making fan films about you, it means they love what you're doing. Mm. So you're probably doing something right, you know, the people who actually put out the official canonical material. So, to, you know, to some degree, you, you, you want to have people trying, because otherwise nobody cares. Thanks again to those guys for coming back on the show this week and giving their thoughts about the topic of the week. But now it is time. It is time for a new voice on this show. Up now is a conversation that was so much fun with the wonderfully talented Jason Inman. Jason, if you're not familiar, is the co-creator of the Star Trek fan series, The Red Shirt Diary, starring the one and only Ashley V. Robinson, who is also the other co-creator. Jason brings a new voice to discussion about fan films because he is actually a creator in the process of making this right now. He has the experience under his belt. He's made 10 episodes of the Red Shirt Diaries, and we get into the conversation about uh, where they are at now uh, with the creation of the second season of the Red Shirt Diaries. We're going to talk about what what drew him in to making a fan film, and also, is he, you know, is he worried that one day Paramount is going to send one of those nasty cease and deceased letters? So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Jason Inman. So Jason, I wanted to bring you on and talk about fan films because you are the creator of The Red Shirt Diaries, which I'm sure people know and love. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes. And so I wanted to talk to you because we're talking fan films on Zach on Film this week. And my first question is, what was the draw to you about creating something in a universe that had already been established? Well, I mean, the draw of doing any, getting to play into any toy box that you don't create is that you already know the rules of the universe or the rules of the universe are already established. So you know that, you know, for in our, uh, in our circumstance about Star Trek, it's about a ship, goes to the planets, Captain Kirk likes to sleep with some women. So as long as you kind of put, you know, touches and dabbles of that, mm-hmm. generally anybody that likes Star Trek will like your property. Um, so that's, a, that's a, like a big advantage. But also, too, it's, to me, man, um, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. And to not take this conversation too far into the Star Trek road. No, it's fine. This, it was my chance to play in the Star Trek universe. Which would never happen otherwise. It'll never happen. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I would love for it to happen to work on like Star Trek Six that's coming down the road, but it's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. this is my chance to put my stamp on that universe and one that like basically inspired me to be a filmmaker. So that's you know that's a plus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, do you think that's a big thing about fan films? Is that the people who love the properties get to tell a story that maybe the originators of the property never delved into and that's it's their opportunity to start telling stuff like that yeah it's also i think the ultimate democratization mm-hmm. of film if you mm-hmm. think about it because otherwise like these properties like james bond or power rangers or even mortal Kombat, which had an amazing fan yeah. series um they're locked away by the studio but 
when the fans get to see him, like the Mortal Kombat web series, those guys just did that on their own. And Warner Brothers was like, wow, we never thought you could do this with Mortal Kombat. And they paid the money to do a second season. You know, so um, it it's really saying that, you know, and I know the old school Hollywood are probably like, no, those are ours. Don't touch them. Stay away. But with the internet and YouTube, this is, again, like I said, this is opening up that all stories, all ideas are fair game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with the internet, like you mentioned, it's such a big community that's been started about these fan mm-hmm. films. You see them pop up all the time. And so do you... Is, is it your thought that fan films are generally a good thing for the property? Like you're keeping it in the loop, you're creating new content. Or do yeah. You, you think it's good for the companies to keep these things up and let them go? Absolutely. I think it is a big mistake for um, any company to take down a fan film. I think it – because the adage is true. Bad publicity, no matter how bad it is, is still good publicity. Mm. Um they're, you know, is it Saban or Saban? I don't know how you say that. Yeah, uh, Saban, I think. Saban, okay. I think they made a mistake because for an entire day, everybody talked about Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Everybody talked about Power Rangers. And that is just a big, you know, and I know that they're making a Power Rangers movie down the line. Mm-hmm. So this would be nothing but like, you know, generating that whole speculation, everything that everybody wants to talk about it. Um Yes, it keeps it alive, especially in Star Trek now, uh, um, because Star Trek, and I've been told this by several people that have watched our web series, that right now, because it takes so long, it's like four to five years between each movie, the fan projects are really what keeps Star Trek alive, because we're only getting a singular two-hour story every five years, which... Before, we used to have a serialized series. We had two serialized uh, series at the same time. We were getting 48 hours of content every year, and, which is a lot of content to go from there to two hours every five years. So, yeah, it, it, it keeps the publicity alive. It generates new story ideas. And I think it's a great idea because that way, fan series, studios can judge what's the interest in a property. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a lot of conversation when the Power Rangers thing came out. Is like people had to take a step back and go, whoa, is 18 million views on this fan film, there's so yeah, in two days, huge, right? de- yeah, yeah, huge desire for this property. Uh, I mean, I can only imagine that the studio producing that new film just started salivating, just watching the money start rolling in in a couple of years. I, I hope they take advantage of it. I, I really do. I, I really hope they take advantage mm-hmm. of it. But I mean, like you said, the company did end up taking that down for a day. So is that <sighs> some is that something you worry about with the Red Shirt Diaries that Paramount one day <laughs> might send you a letter and be like, hey man? You got to stop making this. Well, first off, let me caveat that by I'm I'm nowhere near the top. <laughs> <laughs> like redshirt, like you know, you have like Star Trek films like up high, and we're we're at the bottom of the valley of Star mm-hmm. Trek stuff, you know, <laughs> because there's Star Trek continues and stuff like that. Um, so I'm not, I'm definitely not one of the bigger fish. I'm one of the really small fish. So. Yeah. Um, but I, I do know this, um, and I kind of planned red shirts around that way. Me and Ashley did specifically Ashley Robinson, the co-creator. We, I took a YouTube copyright class about six months before we did red shirt diaries. And in that it was a copyright class taught by YouTube. And, um, one of the reasons probably why the power Rangers film was able to be taken down was because they couldn't really make the same claim that I can make with red shirts. And that is, 
is that fair use copyright, uh, uh, fair use is specifically defined as specifically making satire or parody of specific elements inside uh, the original property. So the advantage that we have with Red Shirts is that since our episodes are directly lined up with the original series episodes, we can be like, oh, we're making fun specifically of the man trap and the things in the man trap and this and this and this. So we have a pretty good fair use defense on our side. Mm-hmm. The Power Rangers, I think the studio could kind of been like, well, you're a mishmash of like everything. You're not really specific. Mm-hmm. So fair use doesn't really apply to you because fair use is a defense. It's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not worried about it. Um, I do specifically state in my um, in the info below the video that says that I do say that Star Trek is owned, and I say that we do this because we love the property and stuff like that. Um, I, I I again do think we're too small fries uh, mm-hmm. uh, for Paramount, um, but I, I do think it would be a mistake because like there are so many good Star uh, Star Trek and stuff thing, and I and I know didn't Disney go crazy when they first bought Star Wars and start knocking off Star Wars fan films like crazy off the internet? Yeah, they did. There was a, that was a big worry when Mar- when Disney bought Star Wars because, you know, Lucasfilm had been so, like, thumbs up on all the fan Yeah, they fan were like, do stuff. anything. Yeah. Uh, but I, Steven and I talked about this, that Marvel, or Disney, seems to be loosening up on that because they are starting the fan film contest again this year. So they are okay. kicking that back in. So, yeah, but there was a time where they were, like, really tough on everything. I know I know DC uh, Warner Brothers is also pretty down on that too. Like mm-hmm. they don't really like fan films made about their stuff. Although there are a lot of like Dick Grayson slash Batman mm-hmm. web series that have appeared on the internet in the last year. Yeah. But I remember a couple years ago there was that film called Batman Dead End and it was about Batman fighting the Predator and the alien in the alleyway. Right. And right. Warner Brothers shut that down quick. Yeah, that was uh when Nolan was about ready to do like, mm-hmm. Batman Begins or something. Yeah. Uh, so, just do you think that fan films are a good place f- for someone who wants to get into the industry to start? Because they they're making something that already has a large fan base that are going to see it, so their name can fi- can kind of work its way to the top, maybe a bit quicker. Is that maybe just me thinking too highly of fan films, or <laughs> is that is that a possibility? Um, no, I, I there is a very valid case for that. Um, I'm kind of two minds of the subject. I think. Um, I really think if you want to get your start, you really should, uh, uh, you know, try to do your own thing and see how far you go. Um, but I mean, making a fan film and, uh, uh, getting that built in audience and getting those built in fans and getting an article about it, like on slash film or ain't it cool or everywhere that that power Rangers fan film, uh, got a name is, a great way, I think, to get your name out there. Um, but I also think that when you do that, you've got to have the goods to back it up. So if if you're experienced enough, if you're an experienced director, editor, whatever, and you do that fan film and you put it out there, then I think it's a great idea. If you're just starting out, I would say, you know, get your feet wet. Do that stuff like that. Um, but, but, you know, I don't know. It, it's... It is, it's such a weird situation because I will say that Red Shirt Diaries, like we've had that same question to us where we've had people be like, why don't you create your own thing? Why don't you do your own thing? And we kind of said the same thing where we've kind of been like, well, Red Shirts is kind of a calling card for us. We had, we had a blast doing it. So much fun. 
we never expected to make money off it. But now the great thing about my career going forward is that if somebody's like, hey, have you ever made a web series? And I'm like, yeah, I did 30 episodes and here it is. And here's the proof, you know. Uh, so that's never a bad thing to have in your pocket as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Just proof, physical proof that you put in the work. Uh, but the chances that it will start your career are about the same as like getting into the NFL, I feel. Because like there's only... <laughs> There's only one or, you know, there's only one in a million District 9s because that yeah. started from a YouTube video. Right, right. The more you delve into the fan film, the more impressive I think the community is. And, and so people will just see kind of like this big Power Ranger stuff and then you start digging in through sites and YouTube and it's just amazing how much people are making. And like feature length, that's what blew my mind oh. when that James oh, yeah. Bond thing, and I was looking on YouTube like at James Bond films and there are multiple hour plus James Bond fan films on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's insane. There it is it is literally insane how many that there are. And like <laughs> I mean, to me but but to me that's the pro that that's a problem of fan films. Okay. Okay. Because um I think fan films here's here's the problem with fan films. I don't think fan films know the market that they're getting into. Mm. Because the reason why we pay money and go sit in a theater and watch a two-hour movie is because we know it's made by professionals. Mm. Even though sometimes it may stink and be really bad, <laughs> I guarantee you you don't walk out of that film being like, well, they lit that scene pretty shitty. Yeah. They did, it's probably lit pretty well. Mm -hmm. And it's probably decent cameras and stuff like that. So you're willing to, you know, uh, suspension of disbelief for two hours. But on YouTube... For two hours, that thing's got to look amazing for me to sit there and watch it. It's got to look fantastic. Now, if you ask for 10 minutes or less, you got me. Because, you know, I'm like, okay, 10 minutes of my time, doesn't matter what the quality is, I'll probably watch it. But two hours, mm, I'm sorry, because as soon as you get past that 10 minutes, I'm immediately comparing you to that movie that I see in the theater, and you'll never match it. You'll never match it. And and that's another thing of the fan film why I'm so surprised there are are so many dramatic fan films. It, to me, for me, because comedy is my my bag, it's my wheelhouse. Yeah. To me, it's easier to make a spoof of something or a parody of something and get people to take you seriously and be like, oh, that looks cool. Mm -hmm. But if I try to do a drama, to me, that's the whole reason why the Richard's Diaries was not a drama because. I was like, oh, the minute we do a drama, they're going to be like, well, it's not as good as 2009 Star Trek. <laughs> F you, you know. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I think it's a mixed bag. I think, I think know the market you're going into. You so know? You, and you can tell me shut up about found films anytime. I know I'm no, bothering around. No, so. I want you to. Uh, <laughs> so there's never going to be like on this special episode of the Red Shirt Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> no, there never will. Um, I mean, we are trying um, – I will say that in the new season, because we're working on season two right now, mm -hmm. that um, our uh, our season finale is probably going to be more dramatic than what people expect. But we try to do something different to where we build to it. So I think we're, we're doing 20 episodes. And by the time you build through all 20 episodes, I kind of feel we earn it, mm. you know? So, and I hope everyone else does too, but, but that's it. That's the only drama we're doing. And it's only in one scene. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know? So just for like production nerds, what, what, what's the schedule like for uh, Red Shirt Diaries? Cause the first season you only did what, a handful of episodes, right? 10. We did 10. 10. 10? And now we're doing 20. 20. So w w what's the, what's the schedule like for that one? When did you start 
like writing this series this season? Uh, we started writing in um, l- December of last year. Oh wow! Um, that's when we started writing. We actually the thing about it that was cool cool about it was that we had a lot of people for season two just contact us out of the blue, like a prop a prop guy, a special effects guy. Several people that were like, hey, we want to write on the show, oh, which wow. we didn't have because season one was just me and Ashley. And that's it. That's all. Um, and so season two, we actually had like a writer's group. We have like five people. Um, so we talked about the entire season, all the episodes we had to do. Everybody pitched ideas. I allowed everybody to pitch ideas. And then uh, we've been rewriting this, the, the, the drafts on the writers. We've been having meetings every couple of weeks. Um, right now, Ashley and I are finalizing the drafts on all the scripts. Um, we're a month away from shooting. Okay. Um, every part has been cast except for one. We're still looking for like one guy. Um, we have most of the costumes. We're still building the props. Um, but the insanity that's going on as a, as a filmmaking right now is that we had a location and th- and we lost it. And uh, so now we're scrambling to find a location because we're locked into our dates. Yeah. So. Yeah. So um, what, when are you pl- when are you planning on shooting again? Uh, we're we're planning on shooting uh, like April seventeenth. Okay, and for how, three days. We're three, gonna shoot three days. Three days. Wow. So how many yeah. hours is that a day you're shooting? Oh, at least twelve. We'll be shooting at least twelve. I guarantee wow. it. Um, That's crazy. But I'm one of those people that I feel like I I can't pay people a lot, mm-hmm. and some people aren't. I'm not paying. They they're just be like, oh, I want to be a part of it. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So I always feel that I can't take a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm that type of director. I'm like, okay, if you're doing this for free, I'm going to make sure the set is really fun. I'm going to make sure that you get fed and I'm going to make sure that you're in and out in like three hours, you know, so that you're, it's not a whole day for you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's my, that's my trade off. That's good. Um, but we do that. And then from there, I don't know. I don't know like when we're going to release the episodes or anything like that, because I want to make sure we have 10 episodes in the bag before we even announce a start date. So it could be July. It could be August. We didn't start last year until September. So I don't know. Well, that's awesome. Uh, tell people where they can find their Red Shirt Diaries, at least the first season, so they can get ready for the second. Uh, the first season and all kinds of updates is at www.theredshirtdiaries.com. The is very important because the redshirtdiaries.com is some weird blog that hasn't been updated in two, two years. <laughs> so go to theredshirtdiaries.com or my YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Jawin, which is J-A-W-I-I-N. Thanks again to Jason for jumping on the show and, you know, talking fan films with me. And I hope that you will be hearing more of him on Zach on Film in the future. And absolutely be sure to go watch the first season of The Red Shirt Diaries over on the website or over on YouTube, and be sure to be on the lookout for updates on that second season coming out later this year. And now it's time for your feedback on the topic of fan films over on the Zach on Film subreddit. Not Serious posted, I liked Power Rangers. I get that it was a parody of the Dark Great Reboot. I personally have been sick of dark and edgy for several years, but the restating of the basic theme of Power Rangers was fascinating to me. There's a lot of subtext to the concept of conscripting teenagers to be soldiers in a war, in any war, intergalactic or not. If you stripped out the color-coded motif, 
it could make for a very interesting story. And I absolutely think that Not Serious and the rest of the listeners for the Zach on Film should go check out the Joseph Kahn interview over on the Slash Filmcast show from just this week. You know, he has a lot to say about the idea of the gritty story and the violence that we're seeing in, you know, in these comic book movies and lots to think about. It says a lot about uh, what the film uh, studios are looking for in these films. Uh, spoiler alert in the conversation, they are looking a lot for the Guardians of the Galaxy formula. So I think it'd be totally worth you taking the 30 minutes or so to hear what he has to say. Uh, I would be wary of listening to it from children. He does get a little NSFW with his word choice. Uh, but absolutely, it's a great interview. I love listening to creators talk about uh, their ideas about the industry in general. And look at that. We are at the end of the show. I'm not going to muddy down this conversation about fan films. I think we've had a lot of great discussion this week on this show. So no Zach's cut this week. You got Jason Inman for that. What a great conversation I had with him. And so now it's up to you to carry on this conversation. You can do that over at Majorspoilers.com in the comment section of this podcast posting page or over on the Zach on Film subreddit. You can get there by going to www.reddit.com slash r slash Zach on Film. I like that place. It's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty cool what we have going over there. But of course, always continue to check out Majorspoilers.com Come next week we are reviewing Chappie on the show so make sure to go over to that subreddit and give your thoughts about the film it is releasing this Friday the day this podcast releases uh, if you have any thoughts or ideas about what we should be talking about on Zach on Film you can hit me up on Twitter at at ZWolf Wolf has two O's you can also send me an email if you have some longer thoughts that don't fit the 140 character length you can send that to Zach at MajorSpoilers.com uh, Zach is spelled Z-A-C-H I know a lot of people mispronounce, uh, misspell that in my day to day life so make sure you're uh, sending your emails to there make sure to subscribe rate and comment over on iTunes if that is where you're listening it would make me so so happy if you would do that That's it for this show. We'll see you next week on Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.